Let's take God's word together, please, and turn to the New Testament book of Romans, if you would. Romans chapter 8. I want to share just a brief thought with you this evening. Romans 8. Tonight, I don't know where you stand with God, but I do know this, that life is filled with difficulty. And if you don't have God, if you don't know God, now you can say that you know a God, and you can say that you're religious, and you can say that you are someone who enjoys spiritual things, but if you don't know the one true living God, then uh, you are in trouble. Romans chapter 8, I want you to follow along with me, please. Beginning in verse number 15, Romans 8 is a marvelous, marvelous chapter. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 15. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Can I just say this evening that if you've been born again, that the Spirit of God will bear witness with your spirit, and you'll know that you belong to Him. If children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know what we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called, according to his purpose. Stop our reading there tonight. Our text verse really is verse number 18. Look at it again, please. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in time. Would you look this way tonight? Suffering is a part of life. It's an expected part of life. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, in verse number 45, Jesus himself says, uh, He maketh the sun to rise on the evil and the good, 
and he sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. Meaning, whether you're saved or not, whether you have been born again from above or not, you can expect suffering. You can expect it. Faith in Jesus Christ does not mean that all of your troubles are dissolved. You and I are just exposed to difficulties and tragedies as any other person. So you might ask tonight, well, what's the attraction then? Why should I be a Christian? Why should I come to Jesus Christ? Why follow Him if there's no relief of any pain? If I still have problems, then why should I be a Christian? Now, some people preach a false Christianity. Some people preach a message that is not accurate. And they tell you that if you come to Jesus, all your problems go away. That's nonsense. That's a lie. But faith in Jesus Christ to be born again does something, gives something that an unbeliever has never known. Faith in Christ provides a completely different perspective on life and a completely different perspective on suffering. I want to look at this one verse tonight and just stop for a moment and look at the difference of a believer and an unbeliever when it comes to suffering. Look what Paul says in our text in Romans chapter 8, verse 18. For I reckon... Now let's stop for a moment. There is an observation about suffering that Paul makes as a believer. And to be honest with you, suffering makes every person think, doesn't it? If you're going through a difficult time, it makes you think in a way you've never thought before. Suffering makes everything come to a crashing halt in your life. And it makes you think. It's interesting. We oftentimes, if we're not suffering, we like to avoid some of life's most challenging questions, don't we? We like to try to not even think about what happens when someone dies. We like to not think about the purpose of life. We like to try to not think about all of those things. And we can get away, usually we can get away with avoiding all of those difficult questions until suffering comes. Suffering makes you think. That's why Ecclesiastes, one of the, uh, you heard me say this, uh, this morning, Solomon, the wisest man to ever live apart from Jesus, he says in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 that it's better to go to the house of mourning. Now, is this microphone working or is this one working? This one. Okay. I can hardly hear myself. It's better to go to the house of mourning, he says, than to go to the house of feasting. Now, why would it be better? Why would Solomon say it's better to go to the house of mourning? to go to a place of sorrow than it would be to go to a party. We all prefer a party, don't we? We all prefer balloons and music and dancing, and we all prefer lightheartedness. So why does the wisest man to ever live tell us that it's better to go to the house of mourning, the house of grief or suffering, than it is to go to the house of happiness, as it were? The Bible says because that's the end of all men. It's better for us to go to a hospital than to go to a nightclub. It's better for you to go to a funeral service than a birthday party. It's better because the end of all of us is death. 
the end of every single one of us, every one of us, if Jesus tarries his coming, will one day breathe our final breath. Would you look this way tonight? Would you look here? If tonight were the night that you breathed your final breath, would it be a good day for you or a bad day? Are you ready for it? Solomon says in the very same chapter, the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth or happiness. A wise man would rather spend his time with those who are suffering than spend his time with those who are having a slap-happy time. He goes on to say, it is better, it is better, verse 3, sorrow is better than laughter. Now let's be honest, can we take an honest survey tonight? How many of you actually like sorrow better than you do laughter? None of us. Naturally, nobody wants to be going through tragedy and sorrow and difficulty. But Solomon says, by the authority of God, that sorrow is actually better than laughter. Because by the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. The problem is your heart is not well. You have a sick heart, naturally speaking. Until a person is born again, your heart is sick, it is decaying, it is rotting. And sometimes it is sorrow, the house of mourning, that makes us wake up and to consider what we're living for. Sorrows open the mind. Sorrows force us to think about what matters most in life. And Paul knew what sorrow was. He's writing in Romans. You might say, well, what's he talking about? Uh, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with glory. He didn't know. He must not have ever suffered. It's interesting. Sometimes if somebody has never suffered, if somebody's never gone through something difficult, they can talk very lightly about suffering, can't they? If you've never known what it is to lose someone that you love, then you don't really know how to talk to somebody who's just lost someone. You can offer some words that sound really nice, but you don't really know. And you might think that Paul is writing in Romans chapter 8 as somebody who doesn't know what suffering is. Why would he make such a statement that suffering can't be compared with glory that is to come? The apostle Paul knew what suffering was. He was well acquainted with it. In fact, he tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, a little, little snapshot of the suffering that he endured. He says in 2 Corinthians 11 verse 23, uh, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors more abundantly, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths often. Listen to what he says. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. They say that forty stripes on the back was enough to kill a man. That was a death sentence. So they wanted to kill a man without giving him the death sentence. They gave him thirty-nine stripes. But he lived through it five times. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice was I, sh I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day have I been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, perils as dangers, in perils of the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness, in painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, and cold and nakedness, beside those things that are without that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Paul knew what suffering was. Suffering forces us to think. Would you look here for a moment? 
We are living in a world of amusement, aren't we? Amusement parks, amusement television programs. We live in a world of amusement. But do you know it's interesting? The word amusement literally means without thought. The whole principle behind amusement is to get your mind off of things. Amusement parks, entertainment, the whole, the whole thought behind it is so that we don't have to think about reality. And in today's world, there's more access to music than ever before. We hardly ever have time to think, do we? I mean, we, I, I'm just as guilty as anyone else, I, but at least my music's Christian. But I like to listen to music. I like to have my earbuds in. I like to be listening to music. But do you know that we are so connected everywhere we go? Music, videos, we can watch films on, while we're on the bus nowadays. We can watch things all the time. We constantly want to be distracted. Constantly want to be distracted. We don't want to think. We don't want to think about what's real. But suffering makes us stop and reckon or think. And that's what Paul is talking about. I reckon that the sufferings of this present time, he's got a, a different perspective about life as a Christian, as a child of God. We all have a different perspective about sufferings. And here's one of the, one of the considerations that Paul makes is that suffering is temporary. Now, do you know for an unbeliever you don't have that? For a child of God, when we go through something difficult, when we go through a trying time, we know that it is temporary. Paul says, the sufferings of this present time. Just this present time. And the truth is, even if you suffer all of your life, it's a short time. This present time. It's amazing to think about how short life is. Paul tells us several times in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he speaks about this and he says in verse 14, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes that the abundance of grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. Now watch this. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, Yet the inward man is renewed day by day for our light affliction, which is but for a moment. As a Christian, our suffering is temporary. If you've been born again tonight, all the sorrow and trouble you're going through right now is very short. Not going to last. Did you know that? In fact, I heard somebody once say, the only suffering you'll ever know for all eternity is that which you experience right now. The only tears you'll ever cry in all eternity are the tears that you cry in this life. Because as a Christian, the moment you, are, you, you pass from this world into the next, the moment you breathe your final breath is the moment that all tears stop. That all sorrow is wiped away. So even if you suffer your entire life, it's just for this present time. We find the same truth. Peter tells us this. We've looked at this. In the last several months, but in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, he says, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. For a season. For a season. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 18, that the things that we see are temporal. They're temporary. But can I just say, would you look here for a moment? This is not the case for an unbeliever. 
Are you listening? If you are here tonight and you've never been born again, for the Christian, our sorrows, our sufferings only last as long as we're alive. And the second you leave this world, the second a Christian dies, all suffering is finished. But that's not the case for the unbeliever. For the one who's never been born again, for the one who is without Christ, if you continue to reject Jesus Christ, your suffering will be eternal. Your suffering has only just begun. We've lost a dear brother this week, but we know his suffering is finished. And although we weep and mourn his loss, our loss, we rejoice that he has been set free. But an unbeliever that dies, one who dies without Christ, when they die, when someone leaves this world without Jesus, their suffering has just begun. And my desire tonight is, if, is to warn you, if you are not a child of God, to plead with you to come to Jesus tonight. Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells us the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And we're told very plainly and very clearly that to die un, unbelieving, to die without faith in the Lord, the scriptures tell us in Luke chapter 16, Jesus gives us this story. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and he fared sumptuously every day. He was wealthy. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores. And he was desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. What a, what a thought. That the believer who leaves this world trusting in Jesus is carried by the angels into the presence of God. But the Bible says the rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments. We find that word mentioned four times in this passage. Being in torments, he saw, seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out, saying, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and may cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime received, receivest good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. Besides all of this, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldst send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come unto this place of torment. Would you look here for a moment? If you die without Jesus Christ, your suffering has only just begun. It's only just begun. If you die still rejecting Christ, still refusing to bow the knee, and acknowledge Him as Lord and repenting of your sins, if you die without the Savior, then your suffering has only just begun. 
Matthew 25 and verse number 41, Jesus himself says, Then shall he say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. But Paul says for the Christian, for the one who is believing, our suffering is just for this time. Just for this time. Some of our dear brethren are going through difficulties. If you're not, you might be soon. But let me remind you and encourage you that it's just for a little while. And then we'll be with the Lord. Spoke with Josh on a number of occasions in hospice about soon he'd be with the Lord. Keep looking to the Lord. We read many of these passages together. In Mark chapter 9 and verse 43, we read a very, the very words of Christ again. If thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Jesus did not, did not hide the reality that suffering is eternal for the unbeliever. That's a fact. We're living in a day when people want to erase certain portions of the Bible. Are you listening? Living in a day when people want to, want to act like certain parts of the Bible aren't there. But Jesus said it. If you die without Christ, it is eternal fire. But for the believer, the only suffering, the only fire we experience are the fiery trials that we have in this life. Praise the Lord. We have at the most a few short years of pain and misery. And then we pass from this world of sorrow to the celestial city. The place where we read in the book of Revelations, the place where God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain because the former things are passed away. That's the promise for the Christian. For the one who's been born again. That's the difference between a believer and an unbeliever. We realize that our sorrow is just for a moment. But Paul noticed something else. He says in Romans chapter 8, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. The glory which shall be. Another conclusion of Paul's thinking about suffering is that there is a purpose or a product of suffering. Something is being produced in the life and the heart of a believer when they suffer. That's not true for the unbelievers. You know that? That's why the unbeliever uh, thinks that suffering is pointless. That's why the infidel thinks that suffering is meaningless. That's why the unbeliever says, if there's a God, then why all the suffering? Because they can't make sense of it. They don't see anything good out of it. But the Christian knows that suffering is working something. God is doing something in it all. We see that. We know that something is being birthed in this trial. Something is being produced in this suffering. We know. And we know that all things work together for good. To them that love God. Would you look here? Do you love God? Do you love Him? 
to them that love God and who are the called according to his purpose, the scripture says. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 16, we looked at it a moment ago, that Paul says, for which cause we faint not, knowing, knowing that God is working in the trial, knowing that God is producing something in the suffering, we don't give up. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Josh and I read this verse on a number of occasions. Though the outward man visibly was perishing and is perishing in us, the inward man is being renewed. Every day it's being made new. I love that portion in Revelation that we read a moment ago. I love that because it says, Behold, I make all things new. God is producing something new through the suffering. In verse 17 of 2 Corinthians 4, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us. Did you know an unbeliever can't say that? Somebody who's never been born again can't say that. Instead of saying, God is doing something amazing. Instead of saying that, they're saying, why is God doing this to me? Have you heard people say that? Why is God letting this happen? happen? Because they don't realize. But the believer reckons that God is doing something in the suffering. That God is producing something through the difficulty. That the difficulty, that the suffering is working in us. Worketh for us a far more in exceeding an eternal weight of glory. Sorrow is the pathway of being made better. It's a weight of glory, as if you were to weigh gold, something valuable. Paul is saying that suffering produces an, an eternal and an, an, a valuable weight in your life. We are made better through it. Now, we don't delight in trials for the sake of them, do we? You don't get up in the morning and say, oh, I'm so glad we get to have difficulties. But we delight in the trials for what they produce and what God is doing in it. That's why. That's why. And Paul says in our text, the glory which shall be revealed in us. It's amazing to think that God is doing something in me, in you, in us, that we're being changed. Every time we walk through the fire, we're being changed. Every time the gold passes through the fire, more impurities are burnt away. Something is happening in us when we walk through sufferings, when we walk through difficulties. God is doing something. Let me encourage you tonight, believer, Christian, every trial, every suffering, every difficulty, God is doing something. Something good is happening in you, in us. It's amazing to think, in Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul writes about our bodies. And sometimes we think to ourselves, man, nothing is getting better, everything's getting worse. But we read in Philippians chapter 3, by the way, that same passage that talks about the fellowship of Christ's sufferings, that same chapter also speaks about our bodies being changed. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I just, let me encourage you for a moment. Don't you ever let anything or anyone take your eyes off of Jesus and his return. That is a doctrine that is being subtly swept under the rug. The fact that Jesus could come at any moment. Don't ever lose sight of the imminency of Christ's return. 
because that is referred to over and over. Looking for the Savior, the Lord Jesus, who when He comes shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto His glorious body according to the working whereby He is able even to subdue all things unto Himself. Look here, we're going to get a new body. Aren't you glad about that? A new body. No more multiple sclerosis. No more cancer. No more arthritis. Whatever ailments you struggle with, you'll be given a new body and all of those physical ailments, trouble will be taken away. And so when Paul is thinking about sufferings and he's looking at the trials and difficulties of life, he's also thinking about a day when all of that will be over, finished, once and for all. Paul writes of this in 1 Corinthians 15. In fact, the Bible speaks so much about suffering that you and I should speak a little bit more about it. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 49, uh, Paul says, As we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Right now, our flesh is, our flesh is earthy. We are bearing the image of that which is broken, that which is fallen, but soon and very soon we'll bear the image of the heavenly. The, the body that we will, we will adopt and take then will be that of a heavenly form, which shall never perish. And it says, Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot in inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. Corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Game over, you could say. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is thy sting? We feel it today, don't we? We still feel the sting of death. And we will until Jesus returns. But this is what it's talking about. The return of Christ. When we hear, that's what it says, that when we hear in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, when we hear that trumpet, then we'll all say together, Oh, grave, where'd your sting go? We'll say together, Oh, grave, where's your victory? It's gone. You're not doing it anymore. The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That day is coming. So look for it. But I remind you, if tonight you are still lost in your sins, you don't have this hope. Because when Jesus Christ comes back, if you are not right with God, when the Lord Jesus returns, you will be separated from that which is really a child of God. Are you listening? If Jesus were to return right now while we are in this tent, there would be a great separation. In this tent, you can almost imagine, one side, those who are goats, who are not really children of God, will be pushed to one side. And those who are His children will be separated. There may be husbands and wives separated on that day. There may be boyfriends and girlfriends separated on that day. Children and parents separated on that day. 
On that day there will be a great divide. And those who are truly the Lord's will be able to shout together, Thanks be to God which giveth us the victory. But if, if, if you've never been saved, and that day were to come, instead of saying, Thanks be to God which giveth us the victory, you'll cry out like the rich man, Oh God, please, give me another chance. But it'll be too late. It'll be eternally too late. Christian, we know that there's a glory coming. We know that there's something much better than the sufferings that we're going through now. And that's why Paul says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, be unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. He's changing us. Can I just encourage you tonight, one second of glory will outweigh a lifetime of suffering. One second in the presence of our Savior will outweigh a lifetime of suffering when we compare, when it is compared with the glory of Emmanuel's land. Paul says, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. In fact, in many ways, Paul is saying, look, look, we are, we are going through difficult times. Uh, he says in that, in that other portion of Scripture, he's, he's pressed without, beyond measure, he's distressed. We know that, we know that portion of Scripture. Uh, let me read for you again. We are troubled on every side, but we're not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are cast down, but not destroyed. And, and, and we would do ourselves well to repeat these words when we're walking through the valley. God has given us some dear, dear saints who are going through the valley right now, who are living what we're looking at. They're living it. They're living out what it is to look at suffering the right way. Now that's easier said than done. But if we could learn to say like Paul, yes, we are troubled on every side, but we're not distressed. We are perplexed, but we're not in despair. We are persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We've been cast down, but we're not destroyed. If we can learn to talk like that, Think like that. Can you imagine what a difference it would make? That's why he writes in the text that the abundance of grace might, through the thanksgiving of many, redound to the glory of God. And tonight, we see that in our own family here. That we are able to look at brothers and sisters who are going through a difficult time, and we say thanks be to God because God is sustaining them and upholding them. And they have a hope that an unbeliever doesn't have. They have an expectation that an unbeliever doesn't have. And God gets glory through that. And it is marvelous. But tonight, if you are lost, then you don't have that hope that we have. I see it all the time. You know, you hear me talk about it. I, I conduct a number of funerals throughout the year. And I am oftentimes surrounded by people who have no hope. I often stand at a funeral service with people, with families that have no hope. 
The reason for that is because they do not know the Savior that we know. And tonight, if you've never placed your faith in the Savior, if you've never repented of your sins and been born again, then your sufferings to you seem, seem to be pointless and meaningless. And what you need is the right perspective. It can come only through the Savior. Would you come to Him tonight? I wouldn't leave this tent, I wouldn't leave this property unless I knew I was right with God. You are not promised to wake up tomorrow morning. There's no guarantee that you'll see tomorrow. So why not call upon the Lord while He's near? If you believe that God is speaking to you, then I encourage you this evening, fall to your knees and ask the Lord to have mercy upon you. Because your sufferings have only just begun if you die without Christ. But for us, us who are His children, praise the Lord that our sufferings are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. But just for a season, just for a season.